the fear, or not even the fear, the uncertainty, the, the not knowing how to do it, is what causes you to skip the hard stuff and move right on in to what happens after, to the aftermath. But that's cheating. Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of the kick-ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers, and this is the Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking, riding in the butt, one word at a time. Taylor, you remember a couple of weeks ago when we did our hurricane show? Oh, yes. You mentioned one of the things we talked about during the show was that you were putting together some material to send to your agent. I neglected to ask you about that last week. What, whatever came of that? Did you finish and send it off? Yes, I did. Yay! And I know, yay for me. And she got back with me and she was like, I love this book. She's like, I think this has the potential to be even better than the first one in the series. And that always makes me terrified and nervous because the ideas are one thing. Execution is the other. Mm-hmm. And now the pressure is on. I should have introed this a little bit better. For people who didn't listen during during the hurricane show, um, Taylor, what, you're, you're putting together material for the second book in the series. Um, the first book is written and going through the process, and there will be changes, et cetera, et cetera. But you needed to come up with the story, basically, for the second book. I needed to come up with a synopsis and the first chapter. And for me... To do a synopsis, you got to know the story. And the only way for me to know the story is to actually write sort of like an outline of, of how. So I'm like, well, screw it. I'll just write the whole outline. So I don't know. It came out to be about 20 pages or something like that. That's that's what I sent her was the first chapter and then that, the sort of that outline-y, synopsis-y thing of, of the whole entire story. And she got back with me. She's like, I have a quibble about the timeline and sort of towards the end here. And I'm like, okay, I wasn't clear. Because, you know, it's different when you put it into an outline or a synopsis. It doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to name locations or what have you. But you just don't want to create some huge sense of confusion. So she just asked if I could get that fixed up a little bit. And then um, it'll be on its way. And that's what sort of kicks off the start of me going, all right, now I'm on it. And I got to go write this book. Okay, so the material that you sent them, first chapter? Yes, and the synopsis. How long was the synopsis? Um, I don't know. I, I guess, like, all told, it was probably, like, with the chap- the first chapter, which was about 1,700 words, um, I think it was, like, 21, 22 pages total. Okay. So, you know, subtract four or five pages, and then you probably have the synopsis. And when you write a synopsis, it's basically a telling version of the story. Right? Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's not, see, because I don't have the education to go, this is an outline. This is like, it's all one big mess in my head of what the difference between a synopsis and an outline. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I, where I see it is that an, an outline would more, tell, more or less tell chapter by chapter what's happening, whereas the synopsis is like, here's this character. This is their, this is the, you know, what they're doing and how they react to this. And you know, here's the background on that, and it just sort of tells the story. Then so-and-so reacts to this by doing X, Y, Z, which creates this effect. And so, yeah, it's just basically, it's me, it's me setting up what my basis for this story is going to be, what the story is, and then I got to take that and convert it into scenes and convert those into chapters and what have you. 
And when you're when you're doing all of this, obviously it wouldn't take you very long to write twenty pages of material. How much time? <laughs> no, no. I, all right, maybe I should rephrase that. But I know there's there's a a, a great deal of work that goes into understanding what the story is going to be, as opposed to putting that down on paper. So how much how much of the front end work, or how much of the total project was front end versus actually putting it on? into the computer, which comes out in 20 pages. That's about 50%. I did some videos on it on Patreon. There's this whole thing of my process, starting from scratch, then what I do next. And so there's this process I go through of building out sort of, because I'm starting with just this sort of like one sentence idea. And I've got to somehow build that out into characters and plot and locations and interactions and stuff. So you got to have something. You're like, you're bootstrapping this up, right? So I'll start with, you know, getting some of the ideas of the scenes, how these characters, who these characters are. Then I'll work on um, creating character sheets, like really digging down into who these characters are as people, and then tie that in with the scenes and then start outlining. And it's just kind of like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It builds on each on itself until I have sort of a rough idea of the outline and then I'll go back over it and start filling in some of the gaps in terms of how, where, when, why, who, and that type of stuff. Okay. We're going to get to, to our topic, which is the somewhat salacious hard is powerful uh, <laughs> in a few minutes. But you said something there that, that I'm curious about. You said it starts with a one sentence idea. Is that true? Um, or are you just kind of just throwing that out there. Is, was there really a, like a one-sentence idea, and do you actually subscribe to that theory? Well, my sentences can be really long. <laughs> I use a lot, of, a lot of commas, but yeah. Um, when I first started this series, I had nothing. I had absolutely nothing. I was like, what if there were siblings who had these crazy-ass skills um, because maybe their mom had was a spy or something. And that's all I had. That's all I had. And it took me three tries to actually come up with a real workable plot that, and, and I'm not talking about throwing ideas down on a paper. I'm talking about writing eight, nine chapters and going, no, this sucks. This is not working. Um, this is not, this is too, uh, what was the word that uh, my agent used? Caperish. Too caperish. Oh, I love um, not capers. Not really a thriller. Um, it, well, it was wasted on these characters. Mm -hmm. um, and the characters were, you know, as the tries went on, the motivations, the the thing. And that's when I, that was the point, you know, because I was wasting this time trying to get these, these, this plot figured out. And that was when I had my aha moment about the inciting incident. What is the key thing that, that's kicked off this plot? After I figured that out, the plot began to come together. So with this second book, I, you know, obviously it's the second in the series. So maybe my sentence was a little bit longer, <laughs> you know, in the wake of the actions that happened in the, where the last book left off, we're in a situation where this player feels that way, that player is this, and this player wants to kill them because of this. Okay, that's not a story. It's an idea. Maybe it was two sentences. And you got to take that and build it out into an actual story with 
all these key elements that are required in genre fiction. You need the chases, you need the, you know, the fights, you need the, the thrills, you need the almost getting caught, you need how are they going to get out of it. And every single one of those things has to have a reason why. How does this tie together? How does it tie together? So anyway, I got that now. And now we move on to the writing process and the execution. That's the hardest part. Can you do it? And, you know, I get nervous every single time. Do I have what it takes to pull this off? And every single time I've managed to do it. So I just have to know that 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 fear and self-doubt is just part of the process. Just roll with it. And as we will soon learn, hard is powerful. okay here's here's our topic and it's it's you know we started out i i came up with something that was slightly different it was a much weaker topic for the show um but i i have a tendency in my writing and i was going through and prepping for the show looking at some of taylor's comments and finding a theme and that theme is you're taking the easy way out by doing it this way Yes, that's what it boiled down to, like when we actually stopped and thought about what these different uh, scene segments had in common. And so what we have here are three or four different, actually three different scenarios where Taylor offered some thoughts uh, for, for, for the rewrite. And I'm going to go ahead and read um, a paragraph and then read Taylor's comment. Rudd's file was near the back of the second drawer and contained a single item. About three inches of what Mrs. Martinez had called the vault tape was attached to to a sales receipt for $87,000. I didn't have a magnifying glass, so I couldn't read the number. That's when I heard the shouting, Mrs. Martinez telling someone to get the hell out of her house. I took the receipt and the tape and stuffed it into my pocket and went to see what was going on. And your comment is... Well, we have to say why my comment. Because that's where... You say why my comment. (laughs) That's where the scene ended. It ended right there. I took the receipt and tape, stuffed it into my pocket, and went to see what was going on. Scene ended, and when the story started up again, whatever happened was done. Okay, and then your comment was, this is a missed opportunity. We have a chance to see this guy in action, to see how he functions when he's aware of something being amiss. He doesn't just go to see what's going on. He's already amped. So what's his frame of mind? What are the steps he took to get from there to here? I realize this isn't a thriller, but this is missed action and tension right here. And then a smiley face. Definitely the smiley face. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever I see the smiley face, it's like I better read it again because I think she said something really mean. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, what did you mean? Well, I think we should read the second one, too, Okay. Um, because they, 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 they have a, a, a similar theme, and so we'll tie it both in when we, when we get to the second one. Okay, and I'm going to read your inserted comment <laughs> after the first word of this. Well, I'll read the whole thing, and then I'll read the, the one-word inserted comment. When that particular mental bone was picked clean, I turned back. Cassie stood in the driveway staring at my house, which stood open and lit up like a toy store on Christmas Eve, welcoming, to, welcoming all to come in and take whatever they wanted. I was pretty sure I knew what would be missing. Now, I started that sentence, when that particular mental bone, and after the word when, in brackets, is Taylor's note, nope. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> 
So after that paragraph, I was pretty sure I knew what would be missing. Again, there was a scene cut. And when mm -hmm. the scene opens up again, we've got Cassie sat inside the Jeep, arms folded and foot tapping, watching two young police officers scour the property looking for perpetrators that had long since gone. And my comment to that was the reader in me feels cheated, not being able to see them go inside and search, not being privy to any sort of action. If he doesn't go inside, we should at least get to see him call 911 and understand his mind for whatever decisions he makes. So there is a, a common theme between those two uh, scene endings and my comments beneath them. And more or less what I told Steve is that you stop there because you don't know, as the author, you don't know what happened. You don't know how to do what happens next. It's hard to figure out what happens next in those situations. You're not a cop. You're not a um, somebody who has large physical uh, martial arts skills or whatever. Sorry, Steve, I just blew your cover. Um, <laughs> you're not ex-military or what have you. So from your sort of um, white collar behind the desk life perspective, what do you even do? How do you even script out a scene like that? And the fear, or not even the fear, the uncertainty, the, the not knowing how to do it, is what causes you to skip the hard stuff and move right on in to what happens after, to the aftermath. But that's cheating. It's cheating the reader, and it's also cheating you as an author, because those spots right there that are hard, that's what gives you the opportunity to, to grow, to get stronger. It grows your imagination. It grows your research skills. It grows your ability to actually create something out of nothing in a, realist, in a realistic way that feels real to the reader. And those scenes where you do the hard stuff are the most powerful because that brings everything together. That's what gets you the emotions involved. The reader's emotions become engaged because there's this sense of danger and and they get behind the character because they, they know that he's in danger and they watch him do all this badass stuff and so they love him. But you rob your readers from all of that by going the easy way out. So in your in your writing, is this something that you would do in the first draft or would you take the easy way out in the first draft and then flesh it out in later drafts? I would do it in the first draft, but it might be messy because I, too, am not a cop or a former military or someone with badass martial arts skills. I have to create this out of nothing. So sometimes that's really hard and it's work. There will be things that I'll, I'll put in my um, my outlines or synopsis. Like right now, for example, in this one we were talking about at the beginning, there's this one paragraph where it says, this character leads his killers on a, you know, cat and mouse chase and kills them off one by one. Okay, so that's like, you know, one paragraph, not even a paragraph in the outline. You know how freaking hard it's going to be for me to actually choreograph that, figure out how he does it, plot it, and do all that. That's going to be excruciating. I can't save that to the very end after I have a first draft. The harder it is, the more I'm going to want to put it off. So I got to get that out of the way. You know, that's, that's how it's done. That's interesting. I mean, it's interesting that you say that because some of these things I do, it is 
just to get it out of the way and, and move on with the story and thinking that I'm going to go back and fix it later. But then when you go back to fix it, you're left with the hard part later instead of doing the hard part in the beginning and having the revisions being the less mentally taxing part. Right. So that's why you eat your vegetables before you get your dessert. You do? Uh, that's the way it's supposed to work. So I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's those hard parts, the parts that are not easy to conceptualize that give the writing its strength. Because think about it. Most of the people who read what you write, they're not badass fighters either. So by giving them that, you're giving them something they don't already experience in everyday life. All right. Let me throw something out that I heard at a writer's conference one time. And I, this is something that fits in perfectly for me probably not so much for you and, and some of the people that listen out there. I am not a gun person. I, I would not know a Ruger from a machine gun. And so this, the woman who was talking writes crime thrillers, and she says in, in, in an early book she had used a specific model of a gun, and she just got shredded for it because something she wrote was wrong. And she said, from that point on, I just say a gun. I don't say a handgun. I don't say anything. I just say a gun. Now, she wrote cozy mysteries. So there's yeah. probably not as much need to fill in the kind of information that might satisfy a thriller audience. What's shocking to me is the cozy mystery readers were the ones who shredded her. Yes. Yeah. That's hilarious. But anyway, do continue. <laughs> well, I, I found that interesting, and, I, and it's something that I, I try and, and apply in, in maybe too many areas. Um, but, you know, the thing with guns, it's just I don't want to turn what I'm writing into a manual on guns and handling guns and shooting guns and things like that. I just, you know, person has a gun, and so you hold your hands up and move on. Right. Uh, Reggie's not ever going to say, oh, that's a seven-shot, whatchamacallit, and uh, I, I see that the safety's on, so I can hit him with a karate chop. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's just going to charm the person out of the gun and, and, and move on. So is that is that a valid technique or is it not taking the hard way? That's not really what I'm talking about okay. when I talk about taking right. the hard way. Because we've discussed before uh, my own techniques for avoiding that type of conflict, uh, conflict with the reader. Um, I will name weapons if I feel that it adds to the story. But there are a few things, a few topics that you are 100% guaranteed to get shredded on, even if you're 100% right. And guns are one of them. So the, the goal in that type of description is to add just enough information that the reader has a sense of what you're talking about. And you definitely don't want to turn it into, you know, a trees. And you're certainly not trying to turn it into an instruction manual. And so... You know, it doesn't take a lot of research to figure out what everybody's arguing about and go the other way. But figuring out how someone escapes, figuring out how someone gets out of a difficult situation, figuring out how someone confronts a difficult situation and gets out of it, those are hard things to do because they do not come naturally to us in our normal, bland, suburban lives. So that's the hard stuff that I'm talking about. 
and manufacturing those types of details that get the heart racing, that get the reader involved, because that involvement comes, the reader involvement comes through emotion. And one of the fastest way to trigger emotion like that is to get that adrenaline pumping. So even though this isn't a thriller, that doesn't mean that you can't get that um, the, the, the breath-holding experience uh, going at the same time. Even if you know from the tone of the book that nothing bad is going to happen to him, you still can't help but get involved when these, these uh, action sequences come into play. Okay. And the last, the last thing I want to get into today, and, th and this came into play a lot in the early chapters of the Reggie books, and the material has since been corrected, so it's not easy for me to find. I found one example, but, but the idea is one where the writing is not as precise as it could be, and the vagueness is sort of cheating the reader and, and sort of weakens the sentence. And the one example I have, and it's not really a great example, but it is an example of that. Um, and this is after the police had, this goes back to the earlier scene when the, the police were going into uh, Reggie's house after something had happened in there. And uh, a, a sentence after that, a long ways after that, it says, after they'd cleared the house, they'd taken our statements. And your comment is, who is they? Okay, I get I get it by inference, but this is missing detail that should be there, so the brain doesn't have to figure it out. So I think this all kind of links together with the earlier suggestions that you had made, where where my language was just too vague, and the idea, as clearly stated here by you, is that any vagueness requires the reader to think, which then becomes grit. Yes, and it, and it does tie in also to this concept of hard is powerful mm -hmm. because having to stop to actually clear up the vagueness is often hard. That's why we tend to not do it because it's easy to just say it, they, them, whatever. But when you add those details and you give descriptions, that's what lets that mental movie, the imagination light up in the reader's brain and it creates a much more powerful image and the reader becomes more engaged with that image. So um, I've spoken before, I think, if not on this podcast, at least I, I did an email about the word it. You know, he picked it up. It made him happy, whatever. Now, it's, it's impossible. We use the word it so much in the English language that it is impossible to avoid it completely. But anytime it can be avoided and replaced with the actual, uh, another description of whatever it is, it should be done because that creates more power. It, but sometimes it's really hard to figure out how to create, how to replace it with something other than what it was referring to already, and you already used that word. Um, same with they'd, same with them. And so the, the, more, the, the more you avoid vagueness, the way you avoid vagueness is with vivid imagery, uh, clear, concise mental pictures. And it's hard but hard is powerful. Now, what also can be hard is identifying that when you're reading it through yourself. Uh, it, you, as a reader, seem to be able to just pluck these things out and, and know that it could be improved by using a stronger or a, a more evocative word. Um, whereas when we're reading our own material, it can be harder to see. How do you, how do you train yourself to see that in your own writing? 
Yeah, the how-to, I don't know, because it's something that comes with skill and with practice. And there are basically three Vs, basically, that I use to describe this process. Vivid, vibrant, and vicarious. The more um, vivid your description, the more vibrant the mental movies are that are going to be played inside the reader's mind, and the more vicariously they're going to live through those characters. And that's what you're going through. Vivid, vibrant, and vicarious. Or vicarious, however you pronounce it. So how to train yourself to spot them, I don't know. It comes, I think, really just from practice, practice, practice. Um, alternatively, we can go to my old fallback, which is make a list of words. And I can, can't even begin to tell you how tedious it is to do a word search for space, IT, space in your manuscript. <laughs> it is brain-numbingly, monotonously hard, but I have done it. I've done it to teach myself how to eradicate the vagueness. I've done it with other words as well. So if you find that, and it's time consuming, oh Lord, it's time consuming because it sounds like, oh, I'll just replace it with something else. No, it's hard. It's hard, so hard, especially when you've just referred to the same three, same thing five times in a single paragraph using the word it because you ran out of other ways to describe it. So, I mean, like I said, sometimes it cannot be undone. It's just, it's too much. But you can do as many as you can. I, you know, there's it, there's they. Um, I, I do it with passive, passive language too. Were that, was that, you know, have been, etc. And you just run through your list and you just expect to spend a week or two running through that list and, and fixing it up. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. That's, um, <laughs> this is a great show. <laughs> a lot of a lot of useful, actionable information, and I actually have a call to action based on what you what you were just talking about. If, if you don't already have one, you probably no, have I planned don't. for the last week for the call to action. <laughs> oh, sure, that's how I spend my days. <laughs> All right, what is your favorite quote unquote taking the easy way out word? Share it with us in the Taylor Stevens fan club group. And by favorite, do you mean what is the one you're most susceptible to? Yes. Yes. The one that you wish you didn't use quite as often. Got it. Okay. Yes. Do that. Tell us. We need to know these things. All right. And I will reiterate what Taylor said last week. We need your material. So send it to us. Send it via email. There's a, a contact button or contact us or something on the website. It'll be easy to find. That gives you a number of different ways that you can reach the show uh, with material that we can use for future episodes, and we would love to hear from you. Yes, we would. All right. We will be back next week. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for being here, guys. See you next week.